4 verses 35 to 41. This is God's word. Let's listen to him. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. The other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, let's pray again. Let's keep praying. Let's pray. Now, Father, we turn to the most important part of our time together. Sitting still, listening, thinking, opening our hearts, our minds. Will you come reveal yourself to our great delight and joy that we may worship and adore and for your glory. Amen. Well, once again, Matt's already said it. Here's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're basically just doing four quick talks in the Gospel of Mark. We're looking at very basic things. Why? Because we've got a big project this year. We're looking at the book of Deuteronomy, starting on the 18th of February. And so up to that time, we're just getting fairly familiar with some of the real basics of the Christian faith. And yet, every time I prepare this, uh, I'm blown away again by the, the deep basic things of Christianity are the best things of Christianity and our series is called This is Jesus. Four little basic things from Mark's Gospel and what could be more basic than this? Look at this slide. God. We could presume, oh everyone here believes in God, don't we? Well, let's pause. Since we're going so basic, let's go even more basic. God, do you believe in God? Do you really believe in God? Is there really, really one of those? Is there a God? And if you do believe in God, the next question is, why do you believe in God? How do you know? that there really is a God. Why do you believe in God? But I've got an even better question. Best question of all. It's a question I love to ask people. Do you want there to be a God? Would you like there to be a God? Is the existence of God good news? Is that a great idea that I've put up there? You see that circle with the word God written in? Is that good news? Is that great news? Some people think that's bad news. They think it's bad news because if there is a God, suddenly that means I'm not. 
And that means, oh my goodness, that's someone I'm going to have to give account to. It's someone I'm going to have to, he's probably got an opinion on things, which means I'll have to answer to him. So the existence of God might be bad news for some people. The, the atheist intellectual Aldous Huxley long ago said, the, and he was honest, the reason we got rid of God is so that we could do what we want, which is the way I think most of Perth is. If we get rid of that, we can do whatever we want. Maybe it's not bad news for you. Maybe that makes you angry. The idea of God might make you angry. Well, if there is a God, well, he's got a lot to answer for. That's, that's like Stephen Fry. That's the way he thinks. If there is a God, I'd like to get hold of him. He's got a lot to answer for. Maybe you look at that and actually that makes you frustrated. You look at that and you think, well, you know what, if there is a God, why doesn't he make himself more clear? Why don't he make himself more obvious? Why don't he do something right there over that park? I, I find that idea frustrating. I want to tell you this morning, when you see that God, it should come across to you as the best possible news. That is good news. And I want to show you that this morning. I want to show you that, there, I want to show you why there's not just a God. I want to show you why it's the best possible news. I guess when it comes to God, you've got a number of options. Let me just run through them. I'll be very quick with this. Here they are. Here's the first one, atheism. You could choose this morning to be an atheist. An atheist is someone who says there is no God. And I can knock that in one minute. Um, it's, it's illogical uh, because you can't prove the non-existence of something. Uh, let's pretend there's a God and he's hiding away. Let's pretend there's a God and he doesn't want you to know him. He's hiding away. There you go. I mean, it's a logical fallacy. Atheism can't stand on any form of reason. Uh, so that's not an option for you. Here's another option for you. Agnosticism. This is more reasonable. Uh, you could decide, look, I don't really know if there's a God. There might be, but I don't know. That's reasonable. That's really reasonable. But even there, there's a soft agnosticism and there's a hard agnosticism. Soft agnosticism says, I really don't know if there's a God, but I'm open to the idea. If that's you, it won't be long before you know there's a God. Hard agnosticism is, I don't know. I don't know if there's a God. I really don't know. I don't know. I don't. You don't want to know. Because the evidence I'm about to show you is convincing. You've got another option, uh, if you don't like silly Latin words, you could pick deism, which is another silly Latin word coming to think of it. Deism is the idea, of course there's a God. I think this is where my dad is. Of course there's a God. Someone must have started all of this. It's just that we can't know him. He's like, whatever. He's like, woo, he's a million miles away. We don't know anything about him. All the religions of the world show us that they all got different ideas means we can't really know anything about him. That's deism. I want to show you that's not an option because if that God should reveal himself to us, then deism can't stand. You've got another option which a lot of people go for, religion. Of course there's a God because my priest told me. Of course there's a God, my prophet 
told me there's a God. Of course there's a God. I had a religious experience. Of course there's a God. The church, my mummy and daddy, it's all under this idea of religion. None of those things can stand up really. At the end of the day, none of them are satisfactory. None of them are good enough grounds to give us solid belief in God. There is another option, and I want to present it to you. It's this one. Biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity. Here's the thing. Why doesn't God just come and stand in front of us? Why doesn't he do that? Because if he did that, all of it would just come to all the debates. Well, biblical Christianity says God has done that. He's done exactly that. He came as a man into our world. But it's better than that. Because biblical Christianity doesn't just say, of course there's a God, he was here. Biblical Christianity also says, and it's the best news ever. It's the best thing you'll ever hear. I want to show it to you. What we're going to do is we're going to look at Mark 4 and chapter 5. What Mark has done is he's squished these four quick events in the life of Jesus together. Because he wants us to take them together. We're going to run through them very quickly. And then at the end, we'll look back and say, what have we got? Let me show you. You've only got one of them on your passage because we couldn't put them all there. But the rest will come up for you. Number one, watch with me. Number one, Jesus calms a storm. Look on your outlines with me. So on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took with him, uh, 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 they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. It, it's such a picture of normal. They took him. With, he didn't have a glowing plate, big dinner plate behind his head. It's just normal. They took him with him on the boat and he falls asleep on a cushion on the boat. It's very normal, very ordinary. He wasn't glowing. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. They woke him, they said to him, now watch this, Teacher, do you not care? Don't you care that we are perishing? What do they think he is? He's a teacher. Why? Because teachers spend most of their time sleeping. We know that. No, I'm just, sorry. Um, uh, my apologies to all teachers. Um, no, it, because he's a normal bloke. Oh my goodness, you should hear him preach. He's a teacher. He's a man of words. Very smart. They think he's just a teacher. Wake up teacher, it's, it's not another holiday. It, grab an oar and help us. Paddle. You know, we're going down. Don't you care? You're stuck in a... You're in the storm with us. We're all in this together. We're in the same boat. Watch what Jesus does. Watch what this teacher does. Verse 39. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased 
and there was a great calm. Do you know any teacher who can... Teachers can't even say to a classroom, peace, be still. It doesn't happen. <laughs> what kind of teacher can do this? He speaks to the wind, the waves. There's no one in the history of the planet or ever since has done this. Verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? What's he, what's he want? What's the faith thing? What does he want them to believe? You still don't have any faith. What was I meant to believe? What, what must I have faith in? And they were filled, verse 41, with great fear. And they said to one another, and here's the question. Who then is this? I thought he was a teacher. Could he be more? Who is this that the wind and the sea obey him? It's the critical question. And these four stories are going to hang together on this question. Who is this? You've got a picture here of chaos, helplessness. Here are people who can't, listen carefully, can't save themselves. And suddenly up stands this man and he talks to creation. And it listens to him. And there's a great calm. And there's a choice. Will you believe? What? Well, I don't know yet. Will you believe? Or will you be frightened to believe? Are you too scared to believe? Well, Jesus calms a storm. But it carries on. Secondly, four quick events. Secondly, Jesus restores a man from evil. Now you don't have the passage in front of you, but it's all going to come up for you. Watch what happens. Thanks, Cam. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So here's Jesus, and he comes to a man, and he's got an unclean spirit. This is a different type of storm. You can get the outside storms, but I can tell you now, and I've, I've sailed around the world, some of you know, and uh, I've been in bad storms. None of them are as scary as the storm you can get in your own head. Here is a man with an unclean spirit. There's a raging storm inside of him, and he's driven by evil. And the situation is just as hopeless as if you were in a little boat on the storm. Look how it carries on. And he lived among the tombs. So this is a man who's like the dead. In fact, he's the undead. It's telling us he's dead. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Can you see it's a storm? Can you see that it's helpless? It's hopeless. What are you going to do? No one can do anything. It's like being in a storm. Actually, here's a question. What do you think a teacher would do? Do you think a teacher would help? Do you think a teacher would 
be able to re-educate him? Hey, hey, uh, I, I can turn you into a useful member of society. All you need to understand is some physics and maths and calculus and geography and, and, and how to be a good person and stop breaking bus stops. Do you think a teacher could help? Can a teacher, can education drive out the storm in this man? Watch what happens. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran. He fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, teacher? No, oh, sorry. Jesus, son of the most high God. Oh, the devils, the demons, no more than people. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Just like Jesus calms the storm on the boat, quiet, shush. So he speaks to unclean spirits. Watch what happens. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. Who's the boss? He gave them permission. Who's in control? And the unclean spirits came out and into the pigs. And the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down from the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Look what carries on. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus. Watch this. They saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion. Watch this. He looks like a lake. He's sitting there clothed in his right mind. It's calm. It's just like the storm was reduced to a great calm. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. He's calm. And what's their response? Will they believe? No. And they were afraid. Will you believe? Or will you be too afraid to believe? Jesus restores a man from evil just by speaking. Have a look at the third story. Jesus restores a woman from sickness. Jesus carries on. Have a look. This is another hopeless situation. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Uh, in Mark's gospel, these two last stories are interlinked, but I've just spread them out here for you. And there's reasons for that, which I won't go into now. And a great crowd followed him and thronged around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered under many physicians. You know, if you go to three doctors, you get five opinions, you know. I'm just insulting everyone, aren't I? That's just a joke, I'm sorry. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. What, what, what are we being told? It's hopeless. Can't stop, calm a storm. Can't stop a man filled with demons. You can't help physical conditions either. Some of them are beyond medicine. Nothing she did. Medicare spent. She just grew worse and worse and worse. But there's one more thing which you don't see there. Just go back uh, there, Cam. The other thing is that in our society, you got a physical sickness. I'm sorry. In that society, it was worse. Because according to the book of Leviticus, if a woman had a bleeding issue, she was considered unclean. 
And so not only poor lady was she physically ill, she was excluded from God's people. She had to live alone. She had to call herself unclean. She couldn't come in to worship God with God's people. She was cut off from relationships, isolated from relationships. Look what Jesus does. She had heard the reports about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now, now I can get that. But Jesus does the most embarrassing thing. Look what Jesus does. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see it done. How awkward is this? It's a bleeding issue. Can't, what about doctor-patient confidentiality? You know, Jesus, hey, who had a bleeding issue here? Uh, who's just been healed? It's all, can't we just keep it private? It's, why is Jesus doing this? Why is he doing this? In other times he heals people and he says to them, don't tell anyone. But here he's making a hoo-ha. Why? Why is he doing it? Well, watch what happens. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, busted and there's nothing, you know, awkward, comes in fear and trembling. There's a response of fear. Fell down before him and told the whole truth. And he said to her, and here's why. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. What's Jesus doing? He's not just healing her physically in front of all the people he calls her daughter and he publicly testifies that she's healed in other words he's restoring her to relationship he's bringing her from out there back into community he's creating healing physical healing and restoration of relationships it's chaos it's hopelessness Jesus speaks a word physical relationships are restored who's this well there's a fourth event our final event Jesus restores a child from death well now a storm you might just survive demons it's not going to be pretty but maybe you'll pull through bleeding sickness well we all die anyway but death well that's another level now, surely Jesus can't deal with this well let's see this is the fourth event then one of the rulers of the synagogue Jairus by name so you're not dealing with myth you're not dealing with story you're dealing with history Seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Carry on there, Cam. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is beyond help. This is helpless. Your daughter is dead. Well, I love this. Watch this. Why 
trouble the teacher any further. See, if you think Jesus is just a teacher, how can he help you? How can a teacher help you with death? The problem is no one can help you with death. Your prophet can't help you with death. Your guru can't help you with death. Your teacher can't help you with death. What's a teacher going to do? Oh, come on, pick yourself up. You know, your death is the ultimate enemy. No one can deal with death. It's absolutely hopeless. Watch what Jesus does. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, and here are the two choices again. Throughout these four stories, as they've been clumped together, do not fear, believe. But, but what, Jesus? What must I believe? Do not fear, only believe. What must I believe? Well, look what happens. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping, wailing loudly. That's chaos. That's um, hopelessness. It's like in a storm. You weep. You wail. When you're full of demons, you weep. You wail. When you've got bleeding for 12 years, you weep. It's, it's the same. It's chaos. Watch what Jesus does. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. How can you misdiagnose so badly? No, the child is dead. The child is dead. So why does Jesus say sleeping? It, isn't it obvious? Because for Jesus, death is not the end. Death is like a long sleep. We've got to get that into our heads. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. It's like falling asleep. Jesus says it's got an end. It's got a wake-up time. And besides all that, he shows such incredible power that for him, someone dead is like they're sleeping. And if you don't believe that, you're just like them. Look what they did. They laughed at him. What a silly idea. That's what Perth thinks. It's a silly idea. It's funny. Well, Jesus ignores their laughter. And look what he does. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talita kumi. And I don't need to translate that for you because there it is. Which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. The incredible authority. Dear God, please help this little girl. No, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. Four stories put together for us. Now everybody, look at it again. Look at the next slide. Just look at it for a moment. Thanks, Cam. Who is this? Who is this? Is it a teacher? Is it a prophet? Is it a demi-god? Who is this? Back to your, your, your passage in front of you. Who is this? Are you afraid to make a conclusion? Or do you believe? Well, let me show it to you. These four events have been purposely put together by Mark. They're real historical events. Because he wants to jog your memories. If you know your Bible, 
you will know that Jesus is not the only one who's done this. Someone else has done those four things exactly like that. And it's none other than the Creator God. These four events parallel Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Purposely. Watch. Carry on there, Cam. Look at the first one. God created order out of chaos. Jesus calms a storm. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, you will see that in the beginning God created the heavens and earth. Now the earth was formless, void. Darkness was over the surface of the waters. It was chaos. It was watery chaos. And God said, let there be light. God spoke. And if you read Genesis 1, it is the imposition of order on chaos. God created order out of chaos. Jesus calms us from who is this? That creation, water, wind should obey him. But that's not all that God did. Look at the next thing. What did God do after that? God created a man and gave him authority over evil. When you come to the book of Genesis and you look at the Garden of Eden, God put man in the garden to, and there's a very clear Hebrew word, to guard it. Adam, the man, was meant to grow the Garden of Eden. He was meant to expand it. He was meant to have authority over evil, to triumph over evil, to spread the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. God made man ruler over evil and over the beasts and creatures of the world. But when Jesus comes along, man has been subjected to evil. Man has sold his dominion and bowed down to evil. And now he's infested. But Jesus restores a man from evil. What did God do after that? Next slide. God created a woman. And he made community. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we read how God took a woman and brought her to the man. And he formed one new man out of the two. It was perfect relationship. It was perfect community. Jesus discovers a world in which women are excluded. Jesus discovers a world where a man and a woman are divorced and separated. And the relationships are and he discovers a world where physical sickness is playing havoc. What does he do? He speaks and restores community. He restores healing. What happened in Genesis chapter 1, 2 and 3 next? Lastly, look what happened. God's children sinned and died. Genesis chapter 3 is the tragic story how God's people having sold themselves to do evil died and they were dead spiritually and ultimately physically before God. And yet what does Jesus do? He comes into that world, he discovers that people are dead and he shows the power to raise the dead. He restores a child from death. So <clears throat> Who is this? Surely, unless you're too afraid, surely you are looking at God. 
Jesus Christ is God with legs on. He is God in the flesh. And it is true because it is in front of you. It is historically in front of you. But I don't want to end there. I want to end with this. It's not just true. It's the best news ever. Think about it. Here is God who's come to bring order out of chaos. Here is God who's come to rescue men. Here is God who's come to restore relationships, rebuild community. Here is God who's come to forgive sins and raise the dead. We don't need teachers. We need God. And God has come. It's the best news ever. When did he do this? When did he do all of this? On the cross. On the cross. On the cross, let's go through them quickly and we'll close. On the cross, Jesus faced the storm of God's judgment. On the cross, it went dark and there was an earthquake. It was chaos. People were shouting this and shouting that. Jesus absorbed that storm for us. He took it all for us. He restores a man from evil. On the cross, you think legion is a Every demon, every evil spirit was opposed to Jesus on that cross. And he took it all. He took the whole lot. Jesus was a woman from sick. On the cross, Jesus Christ suffered physically beyond our imagination. But it's not just physical. He broke community for us. He looked at the Father and said, Why have you forsaken me? There was a divorcing. There was a breaking in relationship. He did that. On the cross, Jesus died our death. He died in our place. He took the death. It's not just great news. It's that God should undergo everything we undergo for us and in our place. It's not just that there is a God. It's not just that he's come to fix everything. It's at what great cost to himself he does it. How can you not think this is better than a sale at Coles? How can you not think this is the best news you've ever heard? It's true. It's great. It's what you need. It's the only thing that'll satisfy your soul. Is it true? Are you afraid? Will you believe it? I'll let you think about it. And then I'll take some questions, if there are any.
Jesus said, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Please, Lord Jesus, will you fix that? Will you create in your people faith as we hear the word, as we see Jesus grow our faith? So we leave here utterly persuaded you are God, you are good, you love us, everything is going to be alright because you are our God. Will you do that for us, we pray. Amen.